Hey everyone, and welcome to the Fully Occupied Podcast. This is the show that explores the most crucial ideas that are shaping the future of real estate, technology, and work. Hosted by your friends here at Occupier, we bring you some of the most interesting people around and dive into the topics that impact most everybody. Let's get into it. All right. Hey, everybody. Matt from Occupier here. Hope you are doing well. Um, So not going to lie, this episode, we wanted to get a little bit technical, actually very technical into lease accounting. Yes, a very exciting topic, which for a lot of our customers and pretty much every company out there is going to become an important thing for them to deal with over the next year. Um, It's pretty clear that Um, There's a big market for this type of software out there, which we are currently building, uh, but that's not the the content of this discussion that we are going to be going into. Uh, What we have set up here is a discussion between our head of product management, Nyasha, and our uh, lease accounting partner, uh, Ty Cotter from Embark. Ty is a subject matter expert when it comes to helping companies understand what the new lease accounting standards are commonly referred to as ASC 842 or IFRS 16 for international leases. Uh, This conversation dives deep into what you really need to know about the new standards, how you need to prepare for them, and what they really mean in terms of how a company's balance sheet is looked at from a valuation standpoint. So that is as technical as I'm going to get on it in this intro, uh, but we hope you guys get some uh, valuable takeaways from it. And please uh, feel free to uh, follow up with us with any questions. Thanks. Hi, Niasha. Welcome to the Fully Occupied Podcast. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, doing great, uh, Matt. Awesome. Well, um, you guys are obviously first guests on this uh, episode three of our podcast, so we'd love for you guys to just make a quick introduction and we'll dive right into the subject matter. Awesome. Niasha, I, I defer to you. Awesome. My name is uh, Niasha, and I work as the head of product here at Occupier. And my job is to listen to uh, users uh, that use uh, Occupier, uh, collect their feedback, and translate it into something actionable within the application. I've always been passionate about building things, and I've often straddled two worlds that felt disconnected, real estate and uh, technology. And I'm excited today to learn a little more about lease accounting from Tyler. Awesome. I can't say my intro is as cool as that. My name is Ty Cotter. I work for Embark Consulting out of Dallas, Texas. I'm a CPA. And over the last couple of years, I've helped quite a few companies adopt and implement the new accounting standard ASC 842. Awesome. And just for the audience's uh, edification, uh, Embark and Ty have been helping us develop our accounting uh, tool within Occupier. Uh, we're not going to go into a ton of detail on that on, on this uh, episode, um, but Niash and Ty have a pretty good working relationship um, trying to solve some of the problems that are facing uh, tenants these days with respect to lease accounting. And I also want to point out that Niash and, and I work really closely with developing the product at Occupier. And uh, a quick little fact about Niasha is that he is also a pilot. And we've been learning a lot about his side projects, uh, flying celebrities around the country over the last couple of years. So um, maybe for a future episode, we can we can dive into that experience, too. Yeah, we definitely yeah, have. I was actually pretty frustrated. 
<laughs> Go ahead, Tosh. We'll we'll have to do an up in the air uh, episode uh, from yeah. thirty five thousand feet. Would love that. I've got to get a good internet connection though. They usually have uh, <laughs> Wi Fi on board. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty frustrated when I I'd been working with Nyasha for probably three or four months before figuring out that he was a pilot. He never like subtly put that in there. He's a humble guy. <laughs> he is <laughs> awesome well um Niasha, you're gonna moderate this discussion with ty so I'll, I'll i'll hand the mic over to you and um let's kick it off so uh tyler i'll, I'll start off with a story and um, a few months ago when i started working with the uh, occupier i was telling my mom about lease accounting and she asked me explain to me what lease accounting is so in your own words, how do you explain lease accounting in layman's terms? Lease accounting is simply put how businesses account their long-term leases and short-term, but long-term lease agreements, whether it be for real estate, equipment, whatever it may be. Um, there's a thing called GAP, which stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. And there's a specific way that you can show leases within your financial statements um, and I think we'll get into a bit more like what that looks like. But essentially, you have a difference between like if you have a lease that's a, a 10 year lease and over the lease term, you know, every two years, the rent increases by like 2%, we'll say. And so over the lifetime of the lease, your average lease expense is, you know, $5,000. So your cash out the door isn't necessarily going to match what your lease expense is because GAP says it needs to be recognized on a straight line basis. So Lease accounting is converging what needs to be recognized within the financial statements versus what the cash outflow is. And the difference is called deferred rent. So that's a, a very simple way of thinking of what lease accounting is. There are a lot of new concepts for our users that we're going to be discussing here. But tell me why lease accounting is very important. Lease, uh, to me, lease accounting is really important because uh, depending on what your business model looks like, you could heavily rely on leases, uh, which are going to be future cash outflows that need to be managed. And so just getting a handle on, you know, what your cash flow management is going to look like. And then on top of that, just from a, a net income EBITDA kind of perspective, what's going to be recognized within the financials and knowing why the differences exist um, and just figuring out ways within GAP to account for those differences in the most meaningful ways and also what's best for the business at the time. So that's why I think it's important just because it, it's a ton of future cash outflow that needs to somehow be recorded, but also forecasted and be managed. So if I have a little ice cream shop and let's say I have two leases, do I have to uh, do lease accounting? You do. Uh, typically, I mean, so if we're just being realistic, if you're, if it's just you, Nyasha, and you were like, you know what, I want to open up an ice cream shop and you have zero goals or ambitions of, you know, going, just having more than one ice cream shop. Um, if you're like, just for tax purposes, a cash reporter, you probably, you're not so much con concerned with um, lease accounting just because you don't have a requirement to create financial statements. But if, if you're like, man, I really want to have gap financial statements, then yeah, you would lease accounting would be something that you would need to focus on and figure out how it's going to affect you long-term. So who are those people that decide on gap and are there standards that they use to measure leases and what are they called? 
Yeah, so the Financials Accounting Standards Board, FASB, is who comes up with GAAP. Um, so quick caveat, there is a thing called IFRS, which are the International Financial Reporting Standards, and that's basically everybody except the U.S. for most cases. So GAAP is a U.S. term, so uh, hence generally accepted accounting principles in the United States is the full term for it. But the FASB is who comes up with those, and so there are two right now. Um, it's it's two, but it's really going to be just one. There are two accounting standards codifications, so that's ASC 840 and ASC 842. So 840 is old and 842 is new, and by the year 2022 or 2023, depending on when you file your financial statements or what your year-end date is, you will have to be under 842. Right now, public companies are under 842, but a lot of privates are still just accounting for leases under ASC 840. So. Those are the two terms we'll throw around a ton, and that's kind of what we're talking about. Would you help us uh, understand the major differences between ASC 840, which is the old version, and ASC 842, maybe with some examples just so that we can relate? Absolutely. So the, there are two big differences in the standard from 840 to 842. Under both, you have two types, and we're, we're speaking specifically from the lessee perspective. We're not going to worry about lessors today. But from the lessee perspective, you have two types of leases under 840. You have an operating lease and a capital lease. Under 842, you have an operating lease and a finance lease. So just being honest, the, it's just a name change from capital to finance. So those are still the similar, similar way that it's similar way for accounting for them. But then with operating leases, those are what's changed drastically from 840 to 842. Um, as well as the second difference being the disclosure reporting requirements. Um, and a third thing we'll get into probably a little bit later. But for the main basics of you know, real estate and just lease accounting, you've got operating leases that under 840 only required uh, a financial date statement disclosure of like a future five-year and thereafter future net cash flow. Whereas finance or capital leases under 840, they were capitalized on the balance sheet uh, within PP&E. And so We'll get into later a little bit, I think, the differences of what an operating lease and a finance lease are, um, or better known as a capital lease uh, later. But um, those were capitalized on the balance sheet, uh, whereas now under 842, finance leases, a.k.a. capital leases, are still shown on the balance sheet within PP&E. However, operating leases require more than just a disclosure now. Those are going to come out of the balance sheet as an asset and a liability, so specifically a right-of-use asset and a lease liability. Um, so that's fundamentally the biggest shift uh, from 840 to 842. So like you may wonder like what's, why is this important? Well, like you asked for an example. So like, let's think of like WeWork where WeWork has a boatload of real estate across the U S uh, and internationally under 840 within their financial statements, they just, just had to disclose the future cash flow related to those leases. And then post 842, they now have to put them on the balance sheet because most of their real estate is operating leases. So now on the balance sheet, you kind of see that, hey, this company is actually very highly leveraged. Um, and so it's being represented by a gross up on the balance sheet. So for me, I think 842 is a great change because you had a lot of companies that the way that you figure out if it's an operating lease or a finance lease we'll go into later. But there's a little way, little wiggle room uh, as to what makes one that classification but a lot of companies just had operating leases on the on their books so they didn't have to put them on the balance sheet so very highly leveraged companies got away with just a disclosure saying hey this is cash out the door in future years um 
but to me, it makes more sense to see it on the balance sheet from an investor perspective because it's right there in front of your face. So. Okay. Um, so it seems like everybody is affected with this uh, standards um, from going to ASC 840 to ASC 842. But mm -hmm. how do companies handle the transition from 840 to 842? And is there anything new that really exists in the ASC 842 that didn't exist in the previous standard? Yeah. So typically the clients that I deal with um, either were previously just accounting for leases under ASC 840 within spreadsheets. And so you have a lot of different accounts. So the, the main basics, and I, I'm trying to make it for our wide listening audience to understand, but for accountants, they'll get this. But the main piece of old school lease accounting was deferred rent. And that was shown on, a, on the balance sheet, usually as a liability, um, but it could, it could flip as an asset. But that was what you were accounting for and you were managing. Whereas under 842, you're taking your deferred rent, your initial direct costs that you're amortizing, your tenant improvement allowance liability that you're also amortizing. You're taking all those reconciling items between that are, exist within the lease and you're rolling them into what's called a right of use asset that's then being offset by the lease liability. So for just to start from start to finish on what that looks like. So you're taking your, your lease under 840, you are calculating your future cash flows, uh, present value, future cash flows. So there's a discount rate involved, but you're taking your future cash flows and that's your starting point is your lease liability. Then you're adding or subtracting, uh, you're adding back prepaid rent. Um, you're subtracting out some of the other stuff, like your initial direct costs, um, tenant improvement allowances, and then finally deferred rent. And that's what gets you to the your right of use asset. So what I've been seeing a lot of companies struggle with is they've managed all this information within spreadsheets and they've never done, I mean, obviously it's going to amortize out over time and you know, you're going to have your normal journal entries, but a lot of companies weren't really looking at, hey, is this being kept up to date? Are we adjusting these schedules when we're required to, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And because it was just a footnote disclosure for operating leases, it really wasn't that big of a deal. And so a lot of clients are running into issues where they're finding previous errors that existed that they just weren't aware of. Um, and because, again, like I said, it's just a disclosure. It's going to change every year. It's not that impactful from an audit perspective or financial reporting perspective, because you can just change it. Uh, whereas with, you know, once it's on the balance sheet, that's going to be looked at a little bit more closely, uh, specifically from an audit perspective and just a materiality perspective for the company. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. And maybe let's talk about the difference between the operating lease and a finance lease. Like, wh what does that actually mean? So... I think the easiest way to start is to say what a finance lease is. So a finance lease is a lease that you enter into a agreement with the lessor and one of the next, the following five items are hit. So one, uh, there's a transfer of ownership at the end of the lease term. There's a bargain purchase option within the lease agreement. The lease term is for substantially all of assets useful, the underlying assets useful life. The present value of future minimum lease payments is substantially all, if not all, of the fair market value of the underlying asset. And then new to 842 is uh, the asset is of such a specialized nature that it will have no use to lessor at the end of the lease term. So if one of those five criteria are hit, you have a finance lease. And if none of those are hit, you have an operating lease. So 
just candidly, um, most, I would say in my experience, uh, most real estate leases are considered operating leases just simply because most lessors aren't going to, you know, hand over the property at the end of the lease term. The assets useful life is usually 50 to or 25 to 50 years, if not more. Um, so you're never, the lease term is never going to be for the greater part of that. Uh, it's probably a really bad deal for you if your, you know, future minimum lease payments are, substantially all of the fair market value of the underlying asset for the building. Uh, and then finally, you know, it's not, it's real estate's not that specialized. So it's going to have a future use to the lessor. So typically a lot of your real estate leases are operating leases, whereas like your equipment leases more likely than not are potentially finance leases just simply because uh, it's going to be for the greater part of the assets useful life. And that, you know, the lease payments are going to be the fair market value of the underlying asset. So that's kind of what I've seen um, as it plays out in, gotcha. in reality. Gotcha. So I guess maybe applying just an example here, uh, finance leases in our ice cream shop idea could be the equipment that I'm using to make the ice cream. And the operating lease in this case would be the real estate that I'm using to run the business out of. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I think a fair assessment. I mean, and obviously there's, there's always a one-offs, but yeah, I think that's safe to assume. Do both need to show up on the balance sheet? They do. So finance leases under 840, um, they, those were always on the balance sheet. You would just capitalize them within PP&E and then depreciate it over the assets useful life and record interest expense, principal payments, et cetera, et cetera. Under 840, that was, as we, you know, discussed that wasn't the case for operating leases. However, now under 842, um, you're not putting operating leases into the PP&E balance, but you're actually creating a, a whole new line item in the financial statements called right of use asset. And then the offset is to the lease liability. And uh, for PP&E, you're not referring to personal protective equipment, but it's just that. Uh, I feel like that's be? a very, this is definitely the time where you need to make that distinction. You are correct. It stands for property planting. Perfect. Okay. So uh, switching gears from uh, PPNE and uh, talking about uh, COVID, what's been the impact from your perspective on uh, lease accounting and what are companies actually doing to become compliant with uh, lease accounting? Yeah, I think COVID has brought upon many, many strange times and there's no part of me that wants to speak lightheartedly about, about the pandemic. Uh, but I think it's been fascinating to watch what's happening in real estate due to the pandemic, uh, specifically like as it relates to my clients, but then just from the general landscape. Uh, but specifically with my clients, like and just in general in the markets, you've got companies that over the last we've had probably 10 good years of growth um, where companies you know, have continued to grow. They've continued to enter into new leases for real estate, for equipment. Uh, and then all of a sudden within, you know, not super focused on the cash flow implications, uh, excuse me, if, of what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden the rug getting pulled out from under them, they're not able to either one, get into their spaces because municipalities have, you know, completely shut them down because they're not essential or two, just the business is not there. Um, people are staying home. They're not going out, et cetera, et cetera. So you've now got a bunch of lessees that are bum rushing the landlords trying to figure out, hey, 
what rights exactly do we have under this lease? We have a force majeure clause. We have some quiet enjoyment clauses. We have some acts of God language, et cetera, et cetera. Why do I have to pay for this lease right now? We can't even operate. And then going back and forth with the landlord. But even before that, within the, the real estate teams, the accounting teams, they're going through and either going through you know, a company share drive or, God forbid, a filing cabinet of old leases, trying to figure out exactly what their lease terms are so that they can at least go to the table and negotiate with landlords. You know, what, what can we do here? And so it's been interesting because several clients that I work with, you know, they just manage stuff within spreadsheets and within share drives. And so it was very tedious and very manual to go through each agreement and figure out, you know, one by one, um, what exactly, you know, they have at their ability to help in this situation, what it exactly the landlord is supposed to do in the situation, et cetera, et cetera. And so I have seen though with clients that have some sort of lease software in place, um, it's much easier because, you know, when you're abstracting those leases within the system, you're having to mark down what clauses exist, some of the other additional terms, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just much easier because now on the back end, okay, you've gone in and you've negotiated, you've gotten your landlord to renegotiate the terms of the lease. Um, how are we going to like, let's take an example where we're going to assume that they deferred the months of April and May base rent. So they still have to pay their cam charges, but they're, they're abating base rent for the month of April and May. How is that real estate team working with the lease accountants and the lease administrator and their own accounts payable department to make sure that the cash going out is what it should be and they're not over underpaying just because it's all not being managed in one spot? Um, that's where it gets very, very tricky. And so backing up to like kind of back to the FASB of what they've come out with, you know, obviously within eight, four, you have lease, lease changes all the time, right? And they're what we call remeasurements. So you have lease remeasurements all the time. Um, and both 840 and 842 include guidance of how to remeasure a lease. But the FASB has even come out and said, hey, we didn't write this with, you know, global pandemic in mind. And so we're not necessarily sure this remeasurement guidance is applicable to COVID. So we're going to give you guys two options. You can either one, remeasure the lease, the guidance given in ASC 840 or 842. Or if the change to the lease is not significant, you can just not remeasure the lease and continue to move forward. Now, granted, significant hasn't been defined, but it's assumed that total comp within the, within the lease is not changed by more than 10%. So in theory, back to our example of deferring rent for the months of April and May and paying it back starting in 2021 over a six-month period, in reality, your straight-line rent hasn't changed because the total you know, consideration given has not changed, just the timing of it. So you wouldn't really need to remeasure it, but... Um, I think where it plays in, like with these, what what's great for clients that kind of have messy books under 840 or messy lease accounting schedules under 840 is this gives the company an opportunity to remeasure those leases that they've amended for, due to COVID, clean up any issues or errors that they have, that they found, um, and not to be nefarious or to, you know, hide issues, but it basically gets all washed out within, you know, that remeasurement due to COVID. And it's an easier conversation to work with the, you know, your auditors or whoever's going to be looking at your books of why something changed so substantially. So that's the changes that we're seeing from due to COVID is kind of kind of the big switch. So I think it's really fascinating that uh, everybody is still using Excel to facilitate all of this. And can you tell me what what could go wrong? 
using Excel and why, why do people need software to do this calculation? Isn't it very simple? So, I mean, if, if we're being honest, like under 840, it was very easy just to use Excel. There was, especially if you only had a handful of leases, um, just because deferred rent's a very easy calculation. It's just this plus this minus this equals that. Um, it was just addition and subtraction and, you know, a small amount of division to figure out straight line rent. It wasn't that difficult. And it was really more of guidance that was just set it up and let it go. And so it would just amortize out over the remaining the remainder of the term. Um, and it would just ultimately zero out and it wasn't a big deal. You would just keep making your monthly journal entries. Uh, and so that was that was pretty, pretty easy to do. Under 842, though, where it gets much different is those operating leases no longer have deferred rent and you have to treat them like finance leases, which includes um, present valuing the lease payments. So you've got to come up with what's called an incremental borrowing rate in order to determine what the, you know, what the present value of those future lease payments should be. And so it's definitely more formulas and you can set it up and it's fairly straightforward. Um, but where it gets tricky is the fact that you have to go in uh, there's a new term under 842, which is called reasonably certain. So if you're reasonably certain to renew a lease, to terminate a lease, or to do anything that would change the consideration or some type of lease term that would be, you know, require remeasurement under 842, you need to go in and remeasure the lease. And so because it's now on the balance sheet, you can definitely do that through Excel. It's not that complicated, but the problem is, is it just becomes very tedious and it can, you can end up wasting a couple hours trying to update an Excel spreadsheet and making sure it all flows through telling your AP, you know, team, this is what this is going to look like now um, making sure that your straight line rent expense is reconfigured, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whereas with it, if you have a, a software that's doing it for you in the background, um, once you update those lease terms and you go through the lease accounting side of your software um, and adjust it, it's going to all flow through to the other systems that you're using. So it'll flow through to the ERP your AP processing system, et cetera, et cetera. And then to me, the, the, biggest, the biggest pain in the butt under 842 is the disclosure requirements. So under 840, like I talked about, it's, it's just a simple, hey, future five-year and thereafter forecast of cash. But under 842, you have to disclose a ton of current year information. But the worst part is coming up with the weighted average interest rates that you're using, the weighted average remaining lease term, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas with any software worth its salt has a nice disclosure report that allows you to basically pull that disclosure report input it into your financials. You would just then need to add any qualitative information or any information about embedded leases, which we haven't really talked about yet. Um, and it's just much, much easier and uh, less of just a pain to do. So from an operations perspective, I think it just creates a ton of efficiencies from the financial reporting perspective. It makes life way easier um, and then just allows you to manage changes much, much more easily. And even from an accountant's perspective, right? So under, under lease accounting, you had a couple different accounts that I think I've talked about a little bit, but you had deferred rent, uh, direct initial costs that are being amortized. You had tenant improvement allowance liabilities. So all those under, you know, under normal circumstances, you have to reconcile. Uh, and if you're doing your reconciliations within Excel, that's not that tricky, but the, the perk of having a software is all that information is stored in one spot. And so you can take three or four reconciliations that you're doing, including prepaid rent, um, and you can reconcile it all in one spot. So you're basically taking five recs and putting it in one place that's really easy to manage. 
um, and just it saves time for month-end close. So uh, just to wrap up this uh, question, um, you're saying that if, in my example, with the ice cream store, if I had lease accounting software and Matt works as my broker and we change a clause on a lease, I don't have to go into an Excel sheet, receive an email from Matt notifying me that something has changed, look in the lease, try to calculate everything and put it into my accounting system. There are softwares out there that can handle all of this in one central place. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's the whole goal, um, especially so with an organization like your size, Yasha, you're, I mean, you're a big company, right? Just kidding. A one-man show where you're doing everything, that's, that's not a huge ask to do all those things decentralized. But when you've got an organization, they've got a real estate team, um, a legal team, uh, a lease administration team, and then finally accounting, you know, bridging the gap for all those organizations, if it's all in one spot, only one person has to make the change. The system will notify the other users. The other users will do what they need to do with that information. So for like the lease accountant, they'll go in and remeasure the lease based on that new information. It just all flows through much more seamlessly than trying to manage spreadsheets and emails and even smart sheets to uh, kind of make those changes. Excellent. Uh, previously, you'd mentioned something called a right of use asset. Now, don't I already have the right to use this asset? Like, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so it's, it's almost a semantics, um, a semantics issue. But for a nerdy accountant like me, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. So you've already got assets on the books, right? So you've got your finance leases, which are being capitalized within your property plan and equipment section. And that's truly your asset. So regardless of whether or not you're receiving the asset at the end of its useful life, the contract is written in such a way that, you know, ultimately it's, it's technically yours. So you're either receiving it's for the, the majority of the assets, uh, excuse me, assets, useful life, the future minimum lease payments is substantially all the fair market value of the asset. It, it's yours. So that's why it's going into the PPE section as an asset and then being depreciated. Whereas with an operating lease where it's, you know, it's not yours, you're just, you have the right to use it. So it's an asset that you have the right to use, but does not get depreciated. Um, it's just, you know, the liability and the asset are reduced, amortized over the, the life of the lease agreement. So that's the big difference. And it's just, it's a semantics, but it's definitely um, a difference worth noting. I see. So let's say my ice cream shop blows up because Matt and myself have come up with a secret recipe that everybody loves. And now all of a sudden we need to amend our lease and rent a factory that's as big as a football stadium. What's the implication here? Got it. I, I was assuming that you were saying your ice cream shop blew up literally. And so I was going to say you have bigger problems than your lease accounting. But <laughs> in that instance, uh, let's assume for your example, I'm going to assume that you are not able to terminate your ice cream shop lease. Um, you would then like you, cause I mean, there's probably within your agreement, there's not a termination clause or, you know, a get out termination, like just a fee that you'd play to pay to terminate the lease. You're probably on the hook for all future minimum lease payments. So in that instance, you now have two leases, one of which on your factory, which you're using and you would, you know, need to put on your books, but then it, as it relates to ice cream shop, cause I, I think that's where you're more concerned you still have to account for that lease. And then you would have to go down the road of like, okay, how do we calculate impairment on this lease? We're no longer there. 
um, what are we going to do? Hey, I think we're going to try and sublease this out to uh, somebody else, another ice cream maker. Uh, then you would then have two leases plus a sublease. Uh, so the lease accounting on it, just because you're done using it, doesn't go away. It just changes slightly. Um, and then you would, that would be considered a remeasurement event on the ice cream shop. And every time a lease changes, do we need to remeasure it? Or are there instances where we, we may not need to remeasure the lease? So I would say in most, like for what we would consider changes in leases, you would have to remeasure it. So like if it's just going in and you and the landlord are, you know, changing the terms of lease just to say, hey, this is actually lot 52, you know, coordinates X, Y, Z change from this to this. That's not going to require remeasurement. But if you're going into the lease and you're saying, hey, we're actually we thought this is only going to be a five year lease. We're going to amend the lease to add an additional two years to the term. And during those two years, rent's going to escalate by 2%. Or even if rent stays the same, that lease has changed because your right of use has been extended. So whenever you go in and make those changes with the landlord, you would then need to adjust your right of use asset to match the new you know, term of the lease, including the cash outflow. So let's say you, know, you add two years on, um, you know, you've got $500 monthly lease payments on the space you now need to add that 24 months of $500. So the asset liability would relatively increase by 1200 or $12,000 uh, plus or minus, you know, the discount rate. So that's one of the changes. If you were to actually be able to terminate the lease with the landlord and, you know, you're, you got him to, to pay it, to let you off the hook and get out of the lease, um, then you would just need to write off the lease or not write off the lease, but you would basically take the right of use asset and the lease liability off the books and whatever difference existed between the two, either due to initial direct cost and improvement allowance liabilities, et cetera, uh, you would just take that to the P&L as a, a profit or loss. So the answer, the, the long answer is what I just gave you, but the short answer is yes, you would most likely, you almost always have to remeasure the lease. I see. And I guess uh, a, a general question I have is, so I come up with the measurement. Do I put it into my accounting system once a year? Or does it happen every day? And how do I get it into the accounting system? So it's just like any other journal entry. I mean, you're, you're coming up with an asset and a liability at the beginning of the lease. Uh, it's pretty similar. I mean, it's realistically, it's very similar to a finance lease. You're looking at what the, the value of the asset is, or the, I guess not the value, but the payment towards the asset is. You're creating an asset and liability based on the present value of those future minimum lease payments, which in theory should, should be the same thing. Um, and then from there, you're just doing a debit to the right of use asset account and a credit to the liability account. And then over time, you're going to amortize it off the asset and the liability as you're uh, recognizing lease expenses. So it's still very similar to 840 that you're going to have basically it's on a monthly basis. I mean, granted, you could do it down to the daily basis uh, for there's some instances where, you know, just for your business model or what you do, that makes the most sense. But typically, it's going to be on a monthly basis um, in line with whatever your fiscal calendar is. So if you're a retail company that has an odd fiscal calendar, that's where I've seen, you know, a lease, so lease software is great because the lease terms are written in a way that, like, they don't care. They're working on a calendar monthly basis, um, whereas for you, your, your fiscal periods are different. Um, having a, you know, lease accounting software system that can merge the differences between those two is very, very useful, especially at year end. I mean, again, the difference is probably not going to be material, um, but depending on your lease portfolio size, it could creep up there. Um, so that's kind of, you know, from the processes perspective, 
that's where you know lease accounting lies is on a monthly basis and i i just have like a a few more questions here so let's say i am one of those uh, retailers with my we only pay rent based on a percent of sales that we have done how would this uh, work uh, with lease accounting? Am I off the hook? So, so that's a great question. So I would say, um, based on that example, you would be you wouldn't be off the hook because you still have to disclose it. Uh, but this is how it would work. So in in your example, we're going to assume that there's no base rent. So it's not going to be like you have to pay five thousand monthly payments or ex- sales in excess of whatever percent or two percent of sales whichever is greater, right? So we're going to just assume that you have to pay 2% of sales. Well, because there's no future, like I cannot, there's, you're not reasonably certain about what your future minimum cash flow is going to be. There's no way to recognize that on the balance sheet. So you don't have to put it on the balance sheet because it's variable. It's considered a variable lease payment. However, you still have to disclose it. However, I don't know of any landlords that are going to write a contract that, um, that friendly to the lessee. So typically what you see is a lease agreement where it says, hey, you've got to pay monthly lease payments of $5,000 or 2% of sales, whichever is greater. So in that instance, we know what the base rent is going to be. We know that your future minimum lease payments is at least $5,000 a month. In that instance, you would then, yes, you would have to put that on the books. And then the difference of what's actually going out. So say, you know, one month you have 2% of sales is $8,000 you would recognize the difference of 8,000 and 5,000 to a variable lease payment account on the P&L. Yeah, we can hear you. And the last question, Tyler, is what happens if we don't comply to this uh, standard? Is the FASB going to come after me? (laughs) Who is that? I'm sorry, you cut out. Who's going to come after you? Yeah. So the question was, what happens if we don't comply? Uh, Is the FASB going to come after me? Uh, so the FASB is not going to come after you there. I don't think they're concerned with you, but who will come after you is whoever holds your debt or whoever you're having an auto requirement for. So there's really no way off the hook. Again, with your example of an ice cream shop as like a sole proprietor, like unless you're just not creating financial statements, um, which may be the case, like there's no reason for you to create financial statements. So why create them unless it's for your own edification, but um, you know, everybody's on the hook. So public companies have already adopted so since they're that's one of the you know FASB rules and SEC rules is so they've already adopted A42 private companies have to adopt after December 15th of 2021 and for them uh, they like the reason that they're having to adopt is either one they have an audit requirement so either their bank who's got their debt it requires them to get an annual audit or they just have a different reason for an audit requirement but even small or excuse me, large private companies that don't have debt, uh, more likely than not are creating financial pers- financial statements that are in line with GAAP. Um, so if you want to stay in line with GAAP, you have to adopt 842. So there's, I mean, the real answer is there's there's no way off the hook. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Tyler, this has been uh, great learning from you what uh, lease accounting means and what ASC 842 means. And I'll hand the show over back to Matt. Thanks, Nyasha. Yeah, Tyler, um, you're a wealth of knowledge, and I can't say that I'm retaining 100% of your your uh, your takes, but certainly our audience will benefit from understanding essentially 
why this is important and how to do it. And obviously we have a bunch of resources on our website and you guys do too. And we appreciate your partnership and spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks guys. Thanks again, Matt, for having us over. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Niasha. That was great. It was very insightful from the perspective of somebody trying to learn a little bit more about Lisa County. You can learn even more by checking out the Occupier blog or just getting in touch with us and sharing your thoughts. Check the podcast out further on Spotify or wherever you listen, and we look forward to bringing you some more content in the very near future.